Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Today, my guest is Bernadette Russell, who is an expert on hope and kindness, as well as a writer, performer and activist who plants a lot of trees and helps others do the same. She's the author of The Little Book of Kindness and The Little Book of Wonder and her latest book, How to Be Hopeful, is out on the 10th of September 2020. This episode honestly couldn't have come at a better time for me. I, on the day of recording this episode with her, had had a bit of a strange day and honestly was feeling a little bit hopeless and her whole vibe and attitude I absolutely loved. It was like a balm for the soul speaking to Bernadette and I really hope you're going to enjoy this episode. We talk about her experience of doing acts of kindness. Now she's been on a real journey with this. She did a whole year of daily acts of kindness and she shares about the impact that this had on her life and the sorts of things that she did which is super inspiring. We talk about how to be hopeful in today's world where I mean, no one's going to blame you if you're feeling hopeless or despairing or worried or anxious considering everything that's going on in the world, you know, in 2020. We talk about the importance of our support network and we get into the idea of positivity bias. Now, you might have heard of a negativity bias, which is what we all have as human beings kind of wired in to notice negative things because when we were evolving, it would have helped to keep us safe. Well, we're going to talk about a positivity bias and how we can cultivate that instead. So I hope you love this episode. As always, if you want to come over to my website, karma-u.com, you'll find the video of Bernadette and I talking and you'll also find the transcript. So if you or any of your loved ones prefer to read instead of listening to a podcast, then you can head over to karmau.com and check that out. And I've got loads of freebies on my website, resources for anxiety and confidence. So if you want to head on over to, again, karma-u.com, you're going to find ways to enter your email address and get those freebies so that I can support you in different ways. So hope you enjoy this episode with Bernadette Russell. So can you just tell um, the listeners a bit about who you are, what you do and how you, you know, got to where you are today? Yeah, so um, my name is Bernadette Russell and I, I, ca- I kind of started out, I suppose, as a theatre maker, theatre, uh, sort of performer and maker of theatre and 
was jollying along, having that life, which was lovely, doing a lot of touring. And then back in 2011, which feels like the olden days now, because so much has happened since then, um, I was at the Edinburgh Festival and during that time, I don't know if anyone will remember, but the riots started in um, England as a result of Mark Duggan's uh, death. And I saw it, when I was at the Edinburgh Festival, I kind of saw the riots and I think the impact it had on me as I'd already been thinking about, in quite a gloomy way, Chloe, about all the troubles of the world. I just, like everybody was, I was like, wow, there's like oil shortages and exploitation and famine and war, constant war and all the rest of it. I mean, not, you know, I wasn't thinking about it all the time, but it was a sort of background anxiety. And then the riots were very upsetting and it directly affected a lot of my friends. Um, and the response to the riots, I thought were horrible, really racist, really anti-poor, really anti-young people. And so I came back to London feeling a bit down. And then I went into the post office, to my local post office, and there was a boy in front of me at the queue. And he was trying to send his driving licence application, but he thought it was free post, and I don't think it was. Anyway, I gave him 50p for a stamp, and he was immensely grateful, like disproportionately grateful. I was kind of a bit taken aback. And on the bus on the way home, I thought, hmm, that was kind of a definite thing that made a difference, a little bit of a difference. So then I got home and I said to my partner, I, just get, I told him the story and I said, I'm going to do that every day. For, to a stranger every day for a year and see what happens in this really reckless way. Look at it, it wasn't, there was no planning and I didn't sort of do it on January the 1st like a sensible person, it was August the 11th. Um, and I did it and it, it changed absolutely everything for me. Um, it changed my life, has coloured everything I've done, all of my work, has introduced me to some amazing people, um, yeah, it's extraordinary and has, yeah, changed my direction. So I started writing a lot more. I still make theatre, but it tends to be about kindness and compassion and connectivity and hope. So, yeah, that was it. 50p well spent, Chloe. Amazing. <laughs> I love that story. I love that. And I, I want to ask you a bit more about that later, about um, yes. that kind of journey that we went on over that year. But, you know, this conversation, for me personally, has come at just the right time. Only yesterday, I managed to get embroiled in a kind of Twitter spat, I think you would call it, whereby mm. someone was posting stuff about refugees. And I sort of weighed in with my other perspective. And then they kind of sent a load of their friends to kind of comment on things that I'd written, basically. And mm. I was kind of left just feeling, why did I get into that? And, and, and so talking about hope, I think, is, is so important um, for me today. And obviously, with everything that's going on in the world, there's so many reasons why we could feel hopeless, whether it's racism, climate, economy, pandemic. Do you think it is still possible to feel hopeful in these times? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I'm sorry that happened to you. It, that, that's, it's horrible and unnecessary. Um, first of all, I think that the, the reason for... I'm going to be bold and say the reason for all of the sort of anger and, and, and hate and sort of rage is always about fear. 
And so, and obviously fear is useful sometimes because if you didn't have any fear, you just leap across over buildings and, you know, you, you probably end up with a few broken legs. So fear is useful sometimes, but the, the amount of fear messages we receive, you know, refugees are coming in on boats, by the way, to refer to your story and, you know, they're, they're bringing COVID with them. I've seen these stories. Um, the, 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 the narratives and the stories that are told that stoke fear are overwhelming so in a way it's completely understandable that people respond in a fearful way which includes despair and sort of hopelessness but it's not the only story so for me it's all about storytelling and it's just not true and so it feels like our responsibility is to and also our, a source of joy is to seek out the other stories and the other people of which there are always people of which there are always stories um, for some reason, I think a lot—not all, but a lot of the mainstream media is sort of caught into this kind of uh, negative, negative storytelling and news sharing, as if that's intellectually superior to tell the bad side of things. And um, I would argue that it's not. And also that even though in previous times it might have served as well, it no longer serves us because it's feeding people with so much fear and anxiety that it's resulting in people not doing anything, not making changes, not trying, being scared, locking down, attacking each other. So it no longer serves us. And I feel like there's a lot of hope in the fact that actually what we can do, and you do it in your work as well, Chloe, is say, okay, there are all these troubles, but there are also this organisation in Uganda who are helping the local community plant a forest and start their own farm. And there is also this amazing school in Barnsley who were taking out care packages to old people nearby and there were also uh, these amazing refugees who've contributed brilliantly to the village that they arrived in in Wales and that community is getting on amazingly and supporting each other so it's about it's about stories and also you know just moving away from that foamy frothy negativity negative space because Twitter can be amazing too as well, right? I don't know how I feel about Twitter these days. I feel like it's become quite toxic in many ways. But I'm maybe yeah, not looking out the right... I need to be searching out those better stories, clearly. I think it's good to... I'm quite ruthless because I think that we've got this incredible democratic tool. It's still democratic space, I think, social media, which we can use to platform stories, amplify voices that need amplifying and support. We can do that still. We still have the power to do it. So I would just say, you're going to hear the bad news anyway, guaranteed. So get rid of them. Just get rid of, don't follow those accounts that feed that stuff. Recognise what you need. And if what you need are true, you know, not, not kind of fluffy kitten stories, although those are lovely as well, but the sort of solutions-driven stories, the stories about joy and hope, that will feed you because it helps your mental health but it does also help to f heal the world and then share them as well so I'm I have to say all my social media feeds are positive and interesting because I've been quite ruthless about that I just get rid of it watch the news for 10 minutes in the morning so I know <laughs> what latest horrors happened but then try and engage with people and organizations who are looking for the answers and there's there are so many, I promise you. In fact, after this, I'll send you some. Okay, that would be that would be great. I'll put those in the show notes as well if you share them. <laughs> so, making sure that you're following things that are sharing, you know, more positive stories and 
perhaps just limiting the news consumption to a few minutes a day so that you know what's happening but not necessarily yeah. checking in several times an hour on the latest headlines because yeah. that's probably not gonna lead you to feel very good yeah i think so i think so and some people dismiss that as a sort of you know not a very serious way of engaging with the news but actually all you need to know it, that's all you need to know you need to know really in a way what's happening uh that perhaps you can help with or that you need to know about because it's dangerous or alarming that's all you need to know and the rest of it is about making you feel better helping you to show how you can live a better life and how you can engage positively towards positive change so i think i think 20 minutes news does that <laughs> sounds good to me sounds good does are you a naturally positive person does hope come easily and naturally to you or is it something you've had to to work on that's such a brilliant question. Thank you for answering that, asking that. Um, I think I've taught myself. So I think since uh, 2011, when I began that journey, what happened was, is, as well as uh, doing acts of kindness, I, I shifted my gaze towards kindness. So I was, think, I was like, I was looking at the same view, but from a different window. So I started to notice people being kind because I focused, because I chose to focus on it. And I, and I started to look out for hope and look out for people that were actively trying to make the world a better place. And so gradually that kind of shifts you. You, you start to automatically um, look out and see those things. That's not to say some days I feel flawed by the bad news or I've had a piece of personal bad news that makes me sad. But that's okay because we're complex and sadness and, and, and despair even is part of the human experience but I definitely recover better because I committed to a sort of bright side thinking so I think it's possible for anyone to do that absolutely anyone I think it's just saying okay this is what I need to be happy and to help and focus on it so I think you can sort of train yourself and I think I have yeah I definitely am more resilient right so so making a commitment to so looking out and noticing those reasons to be hopeful and then that actually trains you to to see those things more and to notice them more. Yeah, and to remind yourself. So if you feel yourself slipping down, if you're like, oh God, with the weight of the world, I think just say, okay, what? ask yourself to notice one beautiful thing today and to, one hope, and to find one hopeful story and to think about a kindness that you've received or that you've witnessed. And they do work to pull you out of it because you can't, you'll always find something. Um, I, I, I don't know that a day goes by that isn't full of beauty and joy. It's, it's what the world is, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me of um, all the research that's been done into gratitude practices and it can almost sound a bit kind of fluffy, just be grateful. But actually, there's been so much, um, so many studies that have found that it really does work and it really can train your mind to be more positive. So looking out for those yeah. beautiful things every day is going to mean that you're you're able to notice them and discover more more beautiful things to, to recognise. Yeah, and I also think if, if gratitude, you know, some days it's hot, if you're feeling particularly low, or you're having a really tough time, gratitude can be hard to reach as well, and that's okay. And I think on those days, it's good to think to yourself, okay, what 
what did I do today that was good? And that can be a really small thing like I managed to make myself dinner or I managed to make my bed or I managed to get up. It can be really small. So if you can't, because I think sometimes we can feel really crushed and so it's hard to reach the gratitude place, but there's always something to congratulate yourself on. And that's uh, that's hard to do, I think, when you start doing it. It's like, I can't congratulate myself for putting my socks on. But some days that's enough. You know, if you're really, really flattened, it's enough that you manage to have your dinner or go out for a walk. Yeah. So we, yeah. I think we need to be really gentle with ourselves as well. We're in challenging times, aren't we? Yeah, and just those things that we so often discount you know we just take them for granted that we can get up and go for a walk that day or have a shower you know and actually you know if that is challenging then give yourself credit for that and exactly on those days it's amazing that you've managed to do that you know it's astounding and also it gives us hope for the next day i think saying you know even on this terrible terrible day in this terrible terrible moment I still got up and it's recognizing that strength you know that's 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 a demonstration of strength so that can give us hope I think for tomorrow it's like okay I'm consciously recognizing I managed to do this so the chances are is that tomorrow I will be able to as well and even at my lowest or even when things are very challenging I've still been in the world and I've achieved things and demonstrated strength so I found that really useful because we've had a really difficult few months. Everyone in different ways. So, yeah. yeah. I really wanted to, um, to ask you more about the, the acts of kindness that you did over oh, yeah. 366 days, I think you wrote in your book. <laughs> I did, yeah. Can you say a bit more about that? So it's 366. I do know how long a year is, but it was over a leap year, which is like that. Um, yeah, it was about, so as I said, Chloe, I started reckless spontaneously and I'm not, I'm, I'm quite sort of shy really. So I was like, oh gosh, I've made myself a right blooming task here to approach a stranger every day. But I'd really, I, I just decided to commit to it. And I, to keep interest for myself, I tried to make most days a different thing. And at the beginning, I was doing things like buying people, strangers bunches of flowers and leaving chocolates in my neighbour's house and a lot or you know sponsoring anyone that I saw on Facebook that was doing a run or it got really expensive <laughs> and also I thought as well as it being really expensive I'm not sure this is sustainable one because it's expensive but also if I'm trying to encourage other people to do it the money way might not be the most helpful way of doing it so then I started thinking about paying people compliments just having conversations with strangers um, on the train or in the shop, uh, thanking people that worked in shops uh, for what for their work. You know, um, I I wrote letters to strangers asking if they're okay. A lot of people started to contact me on social media and said, "I know someone that's really lonely. Will you send them a card?" So I started doing things like that. I, I rang this these two twins that my friends told me about on their birthdays and sang happy birthday to them. So it was really good fun, Chloe. It was really good fun. It was really, it also sometimes really stressful. I learned a lot on the way. I started to think, okay, I'm going to approach, I'm not going to, if I notice somebody, I'm going to, I'm going to try and choose somebody who I might be 
less inclined to talk to because they for whatever reason because we all have bias they might look a bit frightening or a bit you know I remember one time I was on this train and there was this man and he had an incredibly loud really loud really posh voice I looked at him and I thought I, I noticed I had a bias because he had a loud voice and he was posh and I was like that's ridiculous I don't know this man so I went over and talked to him and he and I had such a brilliant conversation and he was amazing and so I think learning that a kindness can be starting a conversation recognizing that you might have a bias towards somebody because they're in some way not like the sort of people you know and and heading for that and being proved wrong um which i which it was always a delight it was always lovely talking to people there's only one time in the whole year that it didn't work out so well which is pretty good statistically and that was at euston station and i think that was just because to be fair, people are rushing around trying to get their trains and they were like, why are you talk?" Probably thought I was trying to sell them a mobile phone deal or something. Um, but it was absolutely delightful. And I, yeah, sent things through the post. I made things for people. I left, I decorated complete strangers' paths to their house with um, welcome home things. It was really, yeah, it was lovely. And people joined in and all made suggestions. Um, yeah, it was really great. So amazing. I love um, that you shared all those examples there. It's definitely given me some inspiration to to do more of that. And I think especially if you're somebody that is a bit shy, you know, this could be yeah. a really amazing way to, to challenge yourself um, in a kind of gentle and positive way to um, show yourself that you can go, go and speak to someone or strike a conversation or go yeah. and, um, you know, move past fears or, you know, your misconceptions that you might have about somebody could be a really you know good thing to do for people that are on the shy side to to help them overcome that in the process and it was interesting because some days Chloe I was like do you know I haven't I haven't got it in me today to go up and talk to someone I just and those you can do other things like you know you can write someone a letter so I think when I was talking sharing with other people um through the early books I wrote about what to do it's like it's really important to show all the examples so there are sort of introvert access points as well as extrovert access points in terms of doing things and it's hugely beneficial to your mental health because you just get this massive hit of serotonin and uh, uh of which i knew i didn't even know what that word was when i started um and oxytocin and all the good sort of good mood hormone mood lifters so um it's intense you're kind of constantly on a high and it really counters cortisol which is a stress stress hormone that we can that we can um, suffer with so it really does it's immediate payback it's great I love it I love it (laughs) yeah Um, I had Dr David Hamilton on the podcast a couple of months ago he um, talks about a lot of research that kindness is really good for your heart health it's really good for lowering inflammation there's loads of these physical effects that it has on us that go beyond just the kind of it's a nice thing to do it has a real kind of physical impact on us yeah I always say doing something from the goodness of your heart protects your heart um and he I used a lot of his research actually when I so I made a eventually made a show about it and I I realized that there was a whole ecosystem of people working in this area about 
uh, kindness and self-compassion and hope. And he was one of the people I sort of came across and it was, it was great. It was, it's just really interesting, I think, and beneficial and buoyant to have, to feel that you're standing on a foundation of researched science. Because um, the lived experience is valid and really important as well, but it's also really nice to be like, oh, okay, that um, neuroscientist of that group of researchers have actually backed up our lived experience with this. So I think that's really, um, it's really helpful. He's great, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so in your book, you talk about how children have a positivity bias. And I was really curious, yes. um, yeah, if you could explain a bit more about, about that. Be... Yeah, so that, that, so that started, so my, a very good friend of mine, Marion Duggan, she um, worked for an organisation called Clowns Without Borders, who work with refugee children in the in uh, uh, camps in Calais and in Greece, and she spoke. She was the person that got me interested in it because she spoke about how she noticed that these children, even in pretty dire circumstances, would find whatever was available to play and would find you know they're playing with tent poles and bits of rubbish and making them into toys, and that she observed and shared with me that she was astonished how the the, the children on the, on the camps found joy and play wherever they were and I found that really moving but also really really inspiring and I was like so what happens to us you know why is it harder for us and I came across this work of um Janet Boskowski um who's an associate professor of psychology at the University of North Carolina and she researched what she saw as children's rose-tinted glasses their positivity bias and that psychologists aren't entirely sure yet why children have their positivity bias, but she thought that it was partly due to the positive social experiences that most children are lucky to have early in life. And there's also ideas about the need for, for so children are learning and curiosity is important and necessary for them. So it's sort of part of that. Um, I, I was interested in that because I was interested in that with regard to the children that Marion saw who you could say perhaps haven't had the most positive environment to grow up in, although often they have their families around them and their brothers and sisters, which is great, um, and that they still have that. So it seemed like there's the beginning of research into why children have this and an investigation into what happens and at what age and why we lose that. Although we don't all lose that, and I think, again, we can train ourselves to get that back. Um yeah, she said that children as young as three and up to around 12 have this positivity bias when, when and after that sort of things change. And so I just started to think about how we could capture some of that as adults, the things that children have. And I thought about the importance of playing and the importance of imagination and the importance of finding joy in things. And though undoubtedly it's harder for us, we have responsibilities that perhaps most children don't have, that we can borrow some of the stuff from our younger selves to help us uh, be more positive and put our rose-tinted glasses back on. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think there really is something about trying to tune into that childlike curiosity for the world again and openness and exploring and... Um, you know, if we can tune into that more, I think it makes a massive difference to 
how happy we are or how how calm we are as well you know if we see things with curiosity rather than making a judgment or making an assumption can massively help absolutely I 100% agree and also curiosity is very important with regard to fear and with regard to um, hope as well because if you choose to be curious so especially if you're scared of a situation if you choose to be curious about it and open and I'm not saying that that's easy but to say what's happening here what's good here what can be done here what's interesting here you're much more likely to to overcome your fear I think does that make Mm, sense so I know that I do if I I try to walk towards things I'm scared of with curiosity because children do that I think and and when you watch children they do that I mean sometimes that's why we have to protect them yeah (laughs) so they don't leap off you know leap off leap into the sea recklessly or whatever it is but I think curiosity is something that we don't allow ourselves and we don't allow ourselves to play enough and in a way play is an expression of curiosity and trying things out which is why actually I think during Covid the expression the explosion explosive expression of creativity you know people being allowed to express themselves creatively and giving themselves permission for me felt a really positive part of that curiosity exploration play for grown-ups as well yeah amazing amazing I wanted to move on to talking a bit about our support network and I suppose it's something that perhaps has um, changed in certain ways through lockdown maybe some in some ways for the better in some ways for the worse Um, and I know one of the topics that you sort of dig into in the book is around asking for help and the importance of support Um, yeah can you can you tell us a bit about that yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously, I mean, th- th- this applies to everything, I suppose, that an important part in, um, an important part of being happy or, or, or recovering from not being happy is self-knowledge. And I think it's really useful. Hopefully, I think COVID or lockdown provided an opportunity for some people to do this, to say, what do I need? What do I need in order to be happy, in order to have a good life? So one, it's useful to define what a good life means to you, and that's fine, whatever that is. But also it's to recognise, and I think our interdependence on each other, our connectivity was in sharp relief in a beautiful way during lockdown. So we were like, yeah, we actually, we need each other and we are connected and that's a beautiful thing. So I think it's really important in order to support yourself in order to remain hopeful to think about what you need you know and th- and literally I think about who who do you go to when you need someone that's just going to make you laugh you know that person that friend or that person's great isn't it who are you going to go to if you need some really honest advice someone that's not going to mollycoddle you that's just going to be like this is how it is who are you going to go to if you need to borrow some money who are you going to go to if you need someone to help you with childcare or to walk your dog? Who are you going to go to to have a really great night out? Who's that going to be? You know, so you think about what your what constitutes your team and who you need. And I literally wrote it down. So I was like, actually, and I think it's useful if if you identify that actually three people are covering a lot of those jobs for you. That's okay, but I think it's 
it's probably useful to think actually I could do with a bit of a wider net and that's just to support yourself and it's okay if you don't have that yet it's okay and but it's worth thinking I really could do with someone who can perhaps give me some really ruthless advice <laughs> and looking out for that and sort of inviting that so I think support works really important and also I hope I don't know what you think Chloe but I hope that actually that's maybe revealed itself a little bit to us over the last few months like who that person is who always makes you laugh (laughs) and who that person is who can help you out if you need practical help you know um so it's it's being courageous about that one identifying what you need and literally keeping a list and then sort of seeking them out you know seek it if trying to fill in the gaps gently if you need if you don't have somebody that you need that you could do with so you've got a really good I, I I'm quite I'm quite a big fan of writing things down I mean I hope it doesn't sound cold but I just think it's a really useful way of of helping yourself to focus on it absolutely yeah it's kind of solidifies yeah. it I think and um, makes yeah. it more official than just having a kind of vague thought about something if we write it down it seems more solid yeah um, one, one quote that I'm just going to read from uh, the book yeah. is um, every single person in the world will need help at some point in their lives and people who care about you would much rather you ask for their help than suffer alone. Yeah, I think I believe that to be true. It takes courage to ask for help and it especially takes courage to ask for help when you feel low because you're vulnerable. So it's useful if preceding that you've done yourself the favour of saying, actually, this is the person to go for for this particular kind of help or what, you know, the person that you're comfortable with approaching for that. But I think you can ask yourself the truth of that and ask yourself, you know, if, for example, my friend Kate was in terrible trouble, would I rather she asked for help? Yes, I would. And you have to trust as well, I think, Chloe, that you just have to trust that if the person can't help you in the way that they in the way that you're asking at that particular time that they'll be honest and open about that and you can have a conversation so it is again it's about conquering fear in a way and it's a and it's about love it's about self-love and it's about reaching out with love as well but I think I think people are eager to help and again to mention (laughs) lockdown what we saw during lockdown the, the very fact that the, the the appeal for help for NHS volunteers was oversubscribed by seven times. That's demonstration that people are eager to help. They're passionate about helping. It actually, you could say it's an act of kindness because it's offering somebody a purpose and a job. It is a gift actually to say, can you help me? It's also recognising someone's expertise or their worth and the fact that you respect them and like them, love them. So yeah, ask for help and we'll all need it everybody will need it there's no person alive that that, there's no person that's ever existed that hasn't need help in fact really when you think about that we need it every day we don't you know nothing we get from when we have our dinner somebody has grown it packed it put it on a truck got it to the shop sorted it in the shelves you know that you could see that as help it is a help so um yeah but ask and that was something that I found really difficult and don't now I've stopped trying to be Hercules 
<laughs> mm, mm. I love that image of, of kind of recognizing how we are being helped all the time and helping other yeah. people in what we do every day without even really realizing it and that reminder of how connected we are and how much we need each other and mm. um you know think- yeah we really do and it's it's great actually because it takes weight off you sort of circling back to this whole thing about trying to make positive change in the world I think certainly when I began my journey and since when you feel like you're it's kind of like a superhero complex if you feel like I've got to fix everything I've got to do everything I can't ask for help and I have to change the world on my own it that's ridiculous and also overwhelming when you realize that you are part of an ecosystem uh you're a part of an ecosystem of change if you want to engage in that you're just part of an ecosystem of humanity connecting and each doing our job it's a real relief actually because you're not carrying such a heavy burden you're just carrying a little bit yeah my my granny has a saying I don't know if it's her saying or she she says it at least she says don't deny people the joy of helping Mm -hmm. I love that Mm. that's absolutely yeah bravo to your granny I think that sums it up, doesn't it, really? Yeah. You, you mentioned there about being a, like trying to be a superhero. And I, I wanted to <laughs> ask you a bit about activism. I know that's, you know, important to you. Um, I've noticed before, a couple of years ago, I never used to notice people writing activists in their Instagram profile. But now so many more people are kind of stepping into this role and speaking up about things. And I'm wondering, you know, I imagine, and this is also asking for myself, there are people that want to help more, that want to step up um, in a bigger way and, and you know, be an activist, but maybe aren't sure how, or are kind of worried about going down that path, worried about the, the criticism or burning out. Um, can you talk about your experience of that and how you, how you handle that? Yes, definitely. Um, so first of all, on... up front I would like to mention my a dear friend of mine Sarah Corbett who runs an organization called Craftivist Collective who's been a massively beneficial positive influence on me and also talks about this really brilliantly so I'd sort of recommend connecting with her but she we her she and I've had lots of conversations about it I'm really excited by the fact that people are identifying as activists because actually you can be cynical about that but it's people saying I want to be in the space I want to be part of positive change I think it's really super important to not try and imagine that you will single-handedly like Superman you know travel three times around the world at lightning speed and stop the comet you won't um and also it's super important in my experience to find an engagement a way of engaging with positive change doing something you will enjoy which some people find that a controversial thing I think find the joy in it because then you're much more able to keep it up why shouldn't you enjoy it it could be it can be joyful find other people that share your joy so that's another nice little tribe and another connection. And let your, you don't have to be at it all the time. You need to sometimes go, whoa, you know, I can't, I can't go and plant a forest today. I feel really tired. <laughs> um, so I think, I think finding pleasure in 
that change is really important. And I think being really honest about there's lots to be done. We're playing whack-a-mole at the moment, putting out fires all over the place. There's lots of troubles. In a way, there always has been. So it's saying, actually, with my skill set and the things that I love, where could I best be part of this ecosystem of change? For example, for me, I've got various different entry points, but I've been doing a lot of tree planting recently, which I love because I think it's kind of creates community cohesion as well as you kind of plant a pop-up forest in a couple of hours, which is extraordinary. Um, and other people engage in different ways. But I think it's really helped me to say, I really like this because I love meeting loads of different Londoners and I really like being outside and I really like planting trees. So it's been easier for me to sustain that because there's lots of joy and pleasure and I've connected with other people. So, so I think just be honest with yourself about where you fit and what skills you could bring to the table so you feel good. You should feel good about doing it. It's okay to feel good and to feel joy and, and pleasure it's not just okay, it's essential because then you're more likely to be able to keep it up. Whereas if you do something that's makes you sad or it, it, it isn't a good fit for you, I think you're much likely to give it up. Do, does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, that makes so much sense. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's going to be different for everyone, isn't it? And it's about finding what... Um... There's so much to do as well. You know, I, I have a friend of mine who's a retired teacher, really lovely, she was like, oh, I really want to do something, but oh my gosh, everything's so overwhelming. And she was like, well, I've, I've been a teacher for 40 years. So she then joined a refugee organisation, um, sort of helping refugee children with improving their English. And of course, they absolutely adore her. She's hilarious. She's a really good teacher. And she's, that's just a win-win. It's a beautiful situation. So I think that's a good lesson as well. It's like, what am I good at? What do I love? Where can I, where can I go to contribute? Mm, love it. Thank you. Um, what about uh, sort of going back again to, to sort of being <laughs> hopeful? And um, I really wanted to ask you this before we finish the podcast about what is your favourite practical tool for being more hopeful? Well, I've got, I've got two things that I do. One's a sort of long-term thing and one's a daily practice so I have I have a little hope collection which I literally keep in a box like a sort of positive Pandora's box if you like and I just put in it sometimes it's pictures or little scraps of paper all the things that make me hopeful that might be people it might be a little column from a, a magazine um, it might be um, a photograph of something that's made me feel hopeful and so when I feel a bit and I add to it so when I feel a bit like, oh gosh, everything's so hard, I just have a little peek in my positive Pandora's box. And I'd really recommend keeping a hope collection because you could, things can slip from your mind. You can forget, especially if you go into a sort of sad place, you can forget. And so having a collection is a really good thing. And it's quite a creative sort of nice thing. And you might prefer to, I don't know, make a collage or keep a journal, but I think a hope collection is really good. And secondly, as a daily practice, every single day, I look for a hopeful story. And interestingly, some days that's harder than others, but it is never impossible, ever. It's always possible. And often there'll be astonishing, but you can't, just absolutely boggling, amazing. And a, 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 a sort of good tip I'd say in, in terms of looking out as a daily practice for a positive story is, if something's been troubling you, if you've been like, oh, I really hate that there's so much plastic waste in the sea, 
look for that look for the hopeful story of that so walk to your fear it's fine there's always a positive always 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 a sort of hopeful solutions driven positive story so i think that really helps you there's look the, the world the world is fueled by hope and it's run on love and that's the truth um and if you let yourself see that you see it everywhere and at, at every moment and then you can stop having like we we you can just stop having those uncomfortable unnecessary exchanges with people having arguments with stranger on twitter and live in the beauty of the world and the hope of the world love that so much i feel so much better just talking to you i'm gonna go after this and do some positive news research spend a bit of time oh, doing that oh, me you me you too as well i'll send you some sort of good if, if I may, I'll send you some sort of good start, a starter kit. Please, that'd be amazing. Oh, actually, Chloe, at the end of the book, there's a list. Fab, yeah. So yeah. Th- I would be sending you those. So yeah, yeah great. there's loads of good stuff. Thank you so much for everything you've shared. It's been wonderful and very uplifting. Where can people find Thank out you. more about you? Where can they buy your book and that sort of thing? So, yeah, my book's out on the 10th of September, but you can pre-order it now from all the usual suspects. And um, it's published by Elliot and Thompson. And I, my website is bernadetterussell.com. It's pretty straightforward. I'm on Twitter, Betty Russell, B-E-T-T-E Russell. Instagram, Bernadette Russell. Facebook, Bernadette Russell Writes. And I always really like to hear from people. So if anyone wants to challenge me on any of that or discuss any of that or just say, help me, <laughs> that's absolutely fine. So it'd be really nice to hear. But yeah. Probably my website's the easiest because it's got all the other things and that's just www.bernadetterussell.com. Pretty simple. Good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and the book's called How to Be Hopeful. Yes, the book's called How to Be Hopeful. It's out on the 10th of September and there's a accompanying sort of podcast which is t- really t- of the same name, which is me talking to people I talk to during my little journey. So. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chloe. Thank you so much. So good to speak to you. And you. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 